Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. This week and next week, um, we're going to do a two-week sermon series, just a little mini sermon series um, leading us into to our Easter series. We're going to do this for two weeks, then we're going to take and turn our focus towards Easter, and specifically, we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus from the cross for, for the few weeks leading us into Easter and on Easter Sunday. What, what was on Jesus' heart as, as he was having his last moments before he died? And we're going to see what those have to say to us. But for this week and for next week, um, we're going to be looking at this idea of our lives and, and how we're called to view all of the things that make up our lives, all, all of the gifts that God has given to us, all of the stuff that God has given to us, all of the things that God has put into you, how are we to view ourselves in the light of God? And, and in case um, you haven't, aren't able to, to sort of figure it out or, or add it up, the title of the sermon series should, should give you a pretty big hint as to what that's going to look like. What, what concept, how, how should we view our lives? Well, this series is called The Generous Life. So I'm guessing you probably don't need two guesses to figure out what, what we're, how we're supposed to view what God has given us. What is our heart supposed to be towards the things we've been given by God? But before we can get to, to how to, before we can talk about sort of like, well, what does that look like? What does it mean to be generous? What does it mean for me to be generous with my life? Um, the first thing we have to do is we've got to lay a foundation and some groundwork for how we understand our lives and our relationship to ourselves and our relationship to our things and our relationship to our gifts and our relationship to everything we are. How do we understand those things in light of our relationship to God? How do we make sense of all of those things in light of our relationship with God. And to do that, I think we need to go to the beginning. I think we need to go to the very beginning. Like the very beginning. Like the first verse in the Bible. The, the first verse in the Bible sets us our context for understanding ourselves. And so we're going to be we're going to be jumping around in scripture, but the first place we're going to go to is Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. If you're looking for that in your Bibles, just go to the start. Um, it is the first verse in all of scripture, and it will say this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This verse sets the context for our lives and for how we see ourselves and for how we see everything around us. That when, we, when, we, when we look around, if you look around the room and you see other people and you see chairs and you see lights and you see a stage and you see me and you, you see all of the, this sets the context for how we understand all of that. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
In the beginning, God created is the lens that we have, no matter what we're talking about, no matter what it is that we're, we're exploring, no matter what it is when it comes to this world, in the beginning, God created. As a creator, and as we talked about a few weeks ago, as the sustainer of everything, that also means that, that if God created it, God sustains it, that God owns it. It's God's. And we see this in the Psalms. In Psalms 24, uh, it, it, David will write this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How much is everything? All of it. So is there anything outside of that? No. But he'll continue just in case, just in case we don't quite get it. He will say this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Oh, I missed the part. It's supposed to say, uh, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. David tells us that because God created the earth, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But he doesn't just mean like the planet. He, he doesn't just mean the dirt. He doesn't just mean that if you go outside and underneath all that snow, there's dirt somewhere. And underneath, and that dirt, well, that, that belongs to God. But he will say that, that it's more than just, it, it's everything that makes the earth the earth. And, and see, we, we know this, and we can accept this, and I can, that this is all God's. Everything is God's, and, and I can understand that, and I can believe that. And, but it can be hard, especially inside of our culture, where, where kind of what's ingrained in us is that, that we're supposed to be like individuals, and we're supposed to be self-sufficient. And, and be your own person. And, and be your own man. Be your own woman. Make, make your own choices. It can be hard for us to, to fully reconcile that the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. But David wants to make clear that yes, he's even talking about us with the second part of this verse. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. How many is all? All. Are you all? Am I all? All who live in it. So David makes it clear that it's the earth, but, but don't get fooled into thinking that somehow that might not include you. That the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, even us. And because God created it, because God sustains it, and because, God's, because God owns it, the most definitive statement that we can make about the world is that everything belongs to God. That's the most definitive statement we can make about everything. It all belongs to God. And because everything is God's, that means that God can do with it whatever he wants. Is, is when I buy something, it's, it's now mine. And I can do with it whatever I want because I bought it. If I, if I want to give it away, I can give it away. If I want to smash it, I can smash it. If, if I want to care for it, I can. But it's mine. I can do with it whatever I want. But what God does with everything that's his he does something really interesting. 
Because this is where we as people come into this equation. Because right after God creates everything, and in Genesis, if you're still there, we're going to just turn to Genesis chapter 2 now. But um, if, when, right after God creates everything, and he creates it, and he says, oh, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And as he looks on all that he's created, he says, oh, it's very good. But then in Genesis chapter 2, he has everything that he's created. And he turns to us. He turns to people. And he entrusts us with the stewardship or to be the caretaker of his creation. We read in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. See, he doesn't give it away. There's no transfer of ownership where God says, okay, now this is all yours. He will say you can have dominion over it, you can have rulership over it, but it's still mine. But he transfers ownership. We see that God's plan is that, that men and women are entrusted to steward God's creation. It's not given to us to be ours and not God's. It's God's, but he's given it to us to, to work it, to care for it. We're given the role of, being, of taking care of God's creation for God, but it never stops being God's. It's been entrusted to us. And so to bring this to us today, here and now, to, to take it out of the Garden of Eden and, and drop it in Airdrie in 2023, each of us have been given a piece of God's creation that we're entrusted to watch over, to, to steward for him. Maybe your piece of creation looks like a house. Maybe your piece of creation looks like an apartment. Maybe your piece of creation, maybe you say it's, it's in the form of a car, or maybe it's in the form of a business, or, or in the form of a job. Maybe it's in the form of a lot of money. Maybe it's in the form of a little. Maybe it's a lot of possessions. Maybe it's in the form of just a little bit. Maybe it's in the form of expertise. Maybe it's in the form of time. Maybe it's in the form of your, your gifts and talents. But the point is that, that each of us have been entrusted with gifts from God. God has entrusted us with his creation. He has given us parts of his creation into our lives, and he has set you as ruler over it. You, you are, are to, to look after it. You are to care for it. God has given it to you and has entrusted you with it. But whatever we've been entrusted with, we have to remember, it's not ours. God has given it to us, for entrusted it to us, but it's still his. We've been entrusted to steward it. Our world and everything in it belongs to God. Now, you may say, you, you may look and... and, and Say to yourself even now, well, no, hold on a minute. I've worked really hard for, for the stuff that I have. I've, I've worked really hard for the life that I've created. My, my blood, sweat, and tears have gone into this, and it's mine. 
When God placed Adam and Eve over the garden, he didn't tell them that their job was to just exist in it. He didn't tell them that, that your job was, was to just simply, their job was to just simply stand in the garden and let the garden come to them. When he placed them in the garden, when he entrusted them with the Garden of Eden, what did he call them to do? He called them to work it and to care for it. It was a gift from God, but they were going to have to work it. And so let's, let's not make the mistake of thinking that somehow as much time and effort and energy that I have poured into something makes me equal to the one who created me. Let's not make the mistake of thinking, but look at how much I did. Surely this is mine. Let's not make the mistake of saying that that then is more than what God has done and try and remove his ownership. Our world and everything in it, it's his world and everything in it. And so if we can understand this principle, if we can understand this idea that, that everything is God's, but God's entrusted it to us, there, there's, a, there's several implications for us, several implications that, that we need to understand. If, if, if we can accept this and we can say, okay, I understand that to be true, then there's several implications, three that I want to look at this morning, three things that I want to explore with us this morning of what it means. If, if the world is God's and everything in it and we are entrusted for it, then what does that mean? First, it means that we're entrusted to God's request. That means that God is free to ask for his resources at any moment he chooses. After all, it's his stuff. We're simply just entrusted to care for it. Just like if you were to go to the bank. If I was to go to the bank and I was to say, I would like my money, please. And the bank teller said to me, you know, sir, we've grown really attached to your money. In fact, we've got some really great plans for it. And we're just not convinced that you're going to use it the way we think it should be used. And so, no, you can't have your money. My thought wouldn't be, well, that's really interesting. I mean, it's been with them for a while now. I guess maybe, you know, I, I only entrusted it to them with the expectation that if I can, but if they've really got plans for it, hmm okay, I guess I don't need my money. If we, it, we would all put on our, our special Karen hat and say, I'd like to speak to your manager, please. You know, they, they would, they would, they, no, this is not a deal that we had. This is not the agreement we had. I don't care how attached you are to my money. It's my money. Give it to me, please. And I'd like all of it now because I don't want to have to go through this again. Just like we have the right to ask for our stuff, God has the right to ask for his stuff. There's this moment where Jesus speaks about our hearts when it comes to things like this. And in chapter 8, Jesus would say this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, this verse is actually one of the most under or misunderstood, misapplied verses 
in, in all of Scripture. It's, it, it's not uncommon for us to talk about things in life as, as our cross to bear. That someone may say, well, you know, my, my, th- this, this disease that I have, it's my, my cross to bear. Or, or, or this relationship, it's my cross to bear. Now, that's not to minimize those things and to say, oh, oh, well, you know, those things aren't challenging or they're not painful. But that has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about, oh, well, this is my cross to bear. In Jesus' day, the cross was an instrument of death. So when Jesus was to say, take up your cross and follow me, it wasn't just grab this weight and walk behind me. It wasn't to take up a weight. It wasn't to take up a challenge. That's not, it it was to take up death and follow him. See, our fundamental problem for sin, the reason why we sin, the reason why you sin, the reason why I sin, the reason why we as people sin ultimately is our self-centeredness, is our inability to see things the way that they're supposed to be. You go all the way back to Genesis, and the first temptation is, did you know you could be more than you are? You could have something more than you have, and you deserve more than what you have. In fact, God's lying to you about what you could have, and so if you just do this, you'll get more than you have. And ever since then, our struggle comes down to, how do I view myself? And I put myself at the center of the story, and I put what I need at the center of the story, so I can lie, I can cheat, I can steal, I can be mean, I can say terrible things, I can hurt people, I can, I can disobey God, I can do all of these things, because really I deserve it. Or I don't deserve the consequences of what I've done. But we put ourselves at the center of the story. But what Jesus calls us to when he says to take up our cross and follow him is he calls us to the death of ourselves. Not literal death, but to a sacrificial obedience. Sacrificial obedience is is one of the ways that we can experience death to self. When we give sacrificially of our time, we die to the priority of schedule. When we give sacrificially, or when we serve sacrificially, we we die of our need to be served. When, When we sacrificially give of our finances, we die to the notion of me, my, and mine. Because after all, the call of Jesus on each one of our lives is to realize it's not about us. And that extends to our world and everything in it. We're not the center of the universe. Our needs and desires are not primary. But it's only when we die to ourselves that that we can begin to see that life is really all about God, who we are and whatever we have, it's from him and for him. And when we understand this, when, when we can come to this place, and I, I don't hear in this for a moment me talking to you from a place of, because I've got this all figured out, that you should be more like me, please. For everything good in you, don't be more like me. Be more like him. 
But when we understand these things, when we understand in the light of our lives that the story that our lives isn't, our lives, the story that our lives are not telling is about me, but it's about God and his creation. Sacrificial obedience is no longer a trial and it's no longer something to be avoided. Instead, it's something to be embraced, knowing that, that this is what God wants for us. This isn't about a works righteousness. It's not about an attempt to bribe God. And, and we need to be clear in our minds that, that this isn't an easy and it's not a pain-free endeavor, but sacrificial obedience. When we give to God what God has asked for from a sincere heart, it's a response to God's grace. And it's how we take up our cross and follow him. The second implication for this is that it's entrusted to God's way. That our primary responsibility is to handle everything we've been entrusted with the way God wants us to, and not the way that we would want. Now, in that, that doesn't mean these two concepts are always at loggerheads with each other. It doesn't mean that, that these two, two concepts are never in line with each other, that, that whatever you want, it's never what God wants. That's not true. Sometimes what you want is what God wants, but sometimes what I want and what God wants, they're not always the same thing. Sometimes the way I see things and the way God sees things, they're not always the same thing. And so when they don't, when God says this and I say that, it's in this moment where we truly begin to, to be able to understand what's going on in our hearts. How we really see ourselves, our world, and everything in it. Because it's easy for me to do what God wants when it's what I want. When, what God, when God's will lines up with Brad's will, Brad is in a pretty good place. That when God's will for me was to marry Yvonne, it wasn't like, oh God, no, what a sacrifice. God, are you sure you've told her this? Because I'm in, but I find it harder to believe that she's not going, really? Well, we all have our cross to bear. Um, there are times in our lives when God's will lines up with what we want. And it's easy for us to go, ha, God's will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be done in my life. Not your will, but mine, but hey, they're the same. But what about when God doesn't want what I want? When God says, give it away. And I want to keep it. When God says, go left, and I want to go right. When God says, up, but down looks pretty good. When God says, do it, but I'd rather not. When God says, now, but I've got plans. When God asks us to use what, what he's given us, but it's not really how we imagined it being used, whose does it become? Do we attempt to deny and wrestle the ownership of our world and everything in it away from God? Or do we recognize that it's all his? 
See, this tug of war shows us our real hearts. It's easy to say all the right things, especially if you've served God for a long time. You, you know the answer to the question. We, we know the answers to this. We know what the answer is. We know to say, it's all God's. Everything is God's. But is it God's when it's going to cost me something that I really feel is mine? Paul will write in Philippians chapter 3. He, he looks back on his life. And he looks back on who he was. If you don't know who Paul, the Apostle Paul was, before he became the Apostle Paul, he was a man, God changed his name to Paul. His name before was Saul. And Saul was this impressive human being. He was significant. He, he was a young man who had advanced far beyond where he was supposed to be in life. He, he was a ruler. He was important. He was significant. He was the kind of person that when he walked down the street, you would elbow somebody and go, do you see who's here? Saul's here. And, and because of that, his life reflected that. Is he, he, he had wealth. He had prestige. He had honor. He had respect. Wherever he went, he got to sit in the best seat. Wherever he went, people, can I get you anything? What, what can I do for you? But as he reflects on this life that he lived, as he reflects on what it meant for him to be Saul and now be Paul, he would say this in verse 8. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. In choosing between his world and everything in it and Jesus and what he has for Paul, Paul says, I look at all of this stuff and, and all I see is garbage. All, all I see is garbage. If I have to choose between it and God, it may as well be just a pile of trash because I'm going to choose what God wants. And lastly, the last implication for us when it comes to understanding that all of this is God's is that we are entrusted to God's expectation. See, God is interested in what we're doing with his world and everything in it. When we die, the only thing we'll take with us is, is a record of how well or how poorly we managed God's possessions. Because the stuff isn't coming with us, but what we did with it will be. Jesus will tell us this in Matthew chapter 6. He will say, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus makes it clear that our treasures and our hearts are completely connected to one another. And so when we look at our lives, what are the things we treasure? What are we spending our time on? That's what matters to us. What are we spending our energy doing? That's what matters to us. What are we spending our money on? That's what matters to us. Another way to say this is 
the truest way to know your priorities is to look at your priorities. And what I mean by this is, is we all know what our priorities should be. But if we were to pass out index cards around the church and say to everybody, write down your top three priorities, I'm guessing we're not going to get wide variance of answers. I'm guessing somewhere on there, as Christians, we're probably going to have God. We all probably even know to put him at number one. Then number two, maybe there's a little bit, some people might write their spouse, some people might write their family. You know, number three might be the, but we all know the right answers to those questions. We all know what our top priorities are supposed to be. God, my family, my spouse, my friends, whatever it might be for each one of us. We, we know what we're supposed to say, but what matters isn't that we know what the answer to the question is. The question is, what does my life demonstrate? I can say God is the most important thing in my life, and I can say it with all kinds of conviction. I can get down on my knees and declare it. But does my life actually demonstrate that? I can say, oh, my relationship with my, with my wife is the most important human relationship I have. But is she allowed to talk during football? I can say my kids mean the world to me. But do I just tell them to go away? Say, Theo, you should go to Nathan's house today. Or, you know, get out of the house. Do, go do something. You know, I can say these things. It's easy to say it because I know the right answer. But does my life actually reflect that? And see, we get this incredible picture of this. We get this incredible picture that we get to look. Remember how we talked about Jesus Christ is our living hope. Jesus Christ is our living example. We get to have this incredible picture of what this means because we get to look at how our heavenly father used his greatest treasure, his only son, Jesus Christ. God was willing to make the greatest sacrifice in history for one reason, his heart for people. People are God's unending passion. His heart is overflowing with, with love for us sinful, rebellious, unholy people. And he proved it by allowing his righteousness, obedient, or his righteous, perfect, and obedient, holy son to die for our sins. When God sacrificed Jesus on, behalf, on our behalf, he not only secured our salvation, but also provided a pattern for how we're supposed to live how we're supposed to see our world and everything in it. And so the question that we're left with today, where this comes to today, is how do you see your world and everything in it? Which parts are yours? Which are God's? What can God ask you for? But what's not really his? To close off our time together, I'm going to invite us all to just take a moment individually and just ask the Lord that question. There's a prayer that David wrote in the Psalms where he will invite God to do this. He will say to God, 
Search me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. He's inviting God, God, look at my life. Look at who I am and, and show me if I'm missing something because maybe I can't see it. And I'm gonna invite us, invite you, to just take a moment and ask God that same question. God, God, search me, show me if there's anything in my life that I'm holding away from you. And if God shows you something, make sure to turn it over to him. Don't leave here going, oh, interesting. God, it's all yours. And so I'm going to invite you, all of us together now, just in a moment, you can bow your heads. You don't have to bow your heads. You can take whatever posture you want. But I'm going to invite us all to just take a moment and say, God, is it all yours? Search me and show me where I've said this this isn't yours. Father God, I thank you that your patience with us is never ending. That God, even as we come to you today and we invite you to show us areas where maybe we haven't given everything to you. God, I thank you that the result of this is not bitterness and frustration and anger on your part. You don't come to us as as our Heavenly Father and say, we've talked about this a thousand times. God, I thank you that you come to us with grace and with mercy, and you again invite us to hand over parts of our lives. God, even if it's the thousandth time we've had to hand over this part of our life, God, I thank you that you are there with your loving kindness 1,001 times for us to be able to hand it back to you. And God, I pray for each one of us here today, God, that we would be able to hand our lives to you, that we would be able to give you our world and everything in it. That we would be able to look at the sacrifice that you made to give up yourself, to give up your son in heaven and and give him up for us. God, may we not make the mistake of thinking we can hold back from you when you held nothing back from us. 
But God, I pray that we would be able to open up our hearts and our lives to the parts of us that we previously had closed off to you. And God, I pray that we would be able to live holy, complete, and devoted to you. God, remove all of the barriers and all of the obstacles between you and us today. And God, may we walk free and more deeply in love with you because we're able to walk closer with you. God, thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you for the living hope that we have in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministers to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. I'm just living in it. Hey, I'm just praying through it. Knowing that you listen. Hold up. Every single one of my own plans. See, I never have your heart. So I put them in your hands. This is your word. The world hasn't stopped turning And the sun hasn't stopped burning You make the universe expand Just because you can But I know you're more concerned about me Worry can add another minute to my life Before I started you charted out the finish line